Hello, and welcome to Foreign Affairs Inbox, the entirely student-run and student-produced podcast of the Elliott School of International Affairs at the George Washington University. We're your producers, Taylor Galgano and Emma Anderson, two women who will soon graduate from their respective international affairs and global communications programs. But nonetheless, believe that they are the most qualified people you could ever find to present you with a cross-cutting look on the latest trending global matters. Each month, a different student host will bring you a new expert to unpack the hashtags you see in your news feeds. Inspired? Curious? Want to hear us chat about a topic you're interested in? Slide into our DMs at Elliott School GW on Twitter or Instagram. We're literally always on our phones, perusing for new content, so we will absolutely reply. We're joined today by our student host, Mallory Thompson, who will be interviewing Ambassador Mula Mula. Today, we are joined by Ambassador Liberata Mula Mula, who is a visiting scholar and associate director of the Institute for African Studies here at the Elliott School. Ambassador Mula Mula has held many remarkable positions, including Tanzanian ambassador to the United States and direct advisor to the president of Tanzania. She specializes in areas such as women and leadership in Africa, conflict resolution, political transitions in post-conflict African countries, and genocide prevention. She's also a recipient of the Order of the United Republic of Tanzania 2015 Award for Distinguished Public Service. We are so excited that she was able to sit down with the podcast and discuss an important conflict that does not get enough mention in the American media. Thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me to this podcast interview. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Just to start off, I think that we should just establish, like, where is Nigeria located in Africa and kind of what is its role in Africa being a member of the breadbasket? For the interest of our listeners, Nigeria, of course, is in Africa. It's in the west part of Africa. It's in West Africa. It's quite a big country. And its borders with uh, Benin, uh, Cameroon, the Chad, Niger. Sometimes people confuse between Niger and Nigeria. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's quite a big country. It's quite also a very populous country. It has almost 200 million people, Mm -hmm. inhabitants, so no one is ever sure (laughs) of the exact (laughs) number of population because the last uh, census was held in 2006. Yeah, but it's one of the most populous countries in Africa and in the world. I think it's the seventh most populous country. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And because it kind of falls along that breadbasket of Africa, it supplies a lot of resources to the continent as a whole, right? I don't know whether it is still valid to call it a breadbasket mm-hmm. country because of the problems they have had in the agricultural sector. Gotcha. Because, I mean, if you mean breadbasket in the terms of agricultural products, because uh, since they also discovered oil, the agricultural sector was kind of neglected. But then, as you know, Nigeria is like a giant of Africa. Even if they produce not as much, but they still they also export a lot around the region but also worldwide. So with time, it has lost that status of being a breadbasket. But also the infrastructure, they have very poor infrastructure. Maybe as we continue to discuss, of course, the negative impact of the climate change. Right, right. Just in general, what is the ethnic makeup of Nigeria? Like, how is it divided? Yes, in fact, Nigeria, I don't know the exact account, but as they say, it is made up of 250 ethnic groups with 500 languages, but then out of 250, the best known, maybe the major ones are three ethnic groups. These are the Yoruba, the Hausa, 
and Igbo, which make up almost 70% of the population of Nigeria. Because in the north, you have this Yoruba, the Fran, the Hausa, and then in the south, you have the Igbo. Mm. Yeah, so it is made up of so many of these small tribes and ethnic groups. Mm. In general, it is one of the math ratio <laughs> kind of country you can mm -hmm. find on here. Right, right. In addition, the Fulani tribe is from the north, right? Yes. In the northern half of the country, this is where the Fulani tribe is, and they tend to be herdsmen. And in the south, we tend to see more farmers. And so in what ways has Nigeria been affected by climate change, and why is Nigeria disproportionately affected in comparison to other countries? Yeah, I mean, as you started, because you have, again, the countries like divided between the north and south, and in terms of the herdsmen, you have them in the north, and then the south, again, that's more agricultural area. So what we have seen recently, because again of the climate change, you have the biggest deforestation in the world, I think you get it in Nigeria, northern Nigeria, because of the encroachment of the Sahara Desert, but also because the drought. So then, because of the deforestation, and so they have been moving towards the south to be able to get for green pastures. So this one has led into conflict with the farmers, because they are also farmers, they are also trying also to be able to survive. Right. Uh, let me say, for most of the African countries, including Nigeria, the majority of the population are rural. And then they depend most on, on agriculture mm -hmm. and livestock. So when there is scarce of this rare resource, especially the land, so then you have these people coming into conflict. And it is what we experienced, unfortunately. This was April 2016. The reports that came out how these herdsmen, the Flannies, were massacring people as they move. And this was, again, also blamed on the, the security apparatus right. using excessive force, but also that the government didn't do much to stop it. And there were also allegations that was more political. And so it was quite unfortunate because there were a lot of untold destruction of properties and the children and the schools. So it was quite a big conflict, although it didn't maybe capture the headlines in the major media, right. national media. Right. And would you say that the United States kind of pulling out of these environmental agreements has had any effect on what Nigeria is experiencing? What we are experiencing with the climate change, I think the big burden of responsibility lies on the major developed countries, major industrial countries. So when you have the United States decided to chicken out <laughs> the climate agreement, it caused a big backlash because I think United States itself is a major, major polluter, right. major contributor to this climate change effects. So it affects not only Nigeria, but most of our especially developing countries that are contributing maybe only less than 6% to the world pollution. Right. You touched on this a few minutes ago. You were kind of talking about how people were saying that the conflict was somewhat political in nature. Mm -hmm. And so could you just talk a little bit about how the resource feud has affected Nigerian politics and more specifically the recent 2019 election? Of course, everything in Nigeria is political. 
in the sense that when you have such a diverse population with different ethnic groups and then major ethnic group, so each maybe group has views, different views, and also the politicians, they take advantage of this diversity and uh, to be able to lower. Of course, when it's election, everyone wants to get voters. And for many years in Nigeria, the most dominant uh, tribe that has been ruling in power is from the north. Mm -hmm. So the, the effects that you have been seeing around the country, the, again, the climate change, but the environmental destruction. So the, the politicians, they were also using it, pitting against each other. Of course, most blaming the government, the incumbents of not doing much in terms of conservation, in terms of restoration, but also being concerned with the people's livelihood. Right. So the opposition during the last May elections, I think they came out very strongly and it was very close to call because <laughs> of the many issues that have been happening, the problems that are the country and Nigeria has been faced. Climate change is one, but also the political field and uh, cause the issues of good governance, issues of corruption. So there were a lot of issues that came into play during this election. And many people had hoped that maybe this would unseat the incumbent, President Buhari. But then he won the election on a very thin <laughs> thread. Right. Yeah, so as in other countries in Africa, also in this country, all these issues come into play right. during the election time and campaigns. So I was not surprised that during the election in Nigeria, all these issues became very big, big, big issues, divisive issues right. in the, during the election period. One of the things that came to light, you were talking about the corruption, was that because of climate change, a lot of people have been displaced mm -hmm. and had to enter into um, like refugee camps. Yes. And so could you kind of talk about how that has affected Nigeria and how groups like Boko Haram have kind of capitalized on these refugee camps. As I mentioned that Nigeria, of course, borders with Chad, the Lake Chad. The Lake Chad, because of this climate change, it is losing its water losses for about 40%. Mm. It's being lost. And therefore, the water that flows into Nigeria, yes, it's like they have lost almost 60%. So this has become quite a very big problem. But then mentioning of the Boko Haram, because the Boko Haram started, I think, in, way back in 2002 as an Islamic insurgent group that was determined to remove, to get the government abandon the so-called Western Christian evil. Right. And uh, have the country introduce the Sharia law. And you also remember how they kidnapped the girls in 2014, mm -hmm. the Chibok girls. So now they have positioned themselves in the region of the, this valley of Lake Chad. And they have made it as a, a conflict zone so that they be able to get the control of that resource that is remaining. Right. So it's like now a no-go zone. It is a very volatile place because they are in full control. So even the farmers have also been displaced. You spoke of people in refugee areas. For the Nigerian, it's more internally displaced. Not many are afraid, but then next door neighbor in Chad, because you have so many refugee camps from all over Sudan, Central African Republic, but also those who are also fleeing 
from the Boko Haram insurgents and also the environmental destruction, but also how to get somewhere where they can be able to feed themselves. Right. I mean, looking for green pastures. So it is a problem that has been compounded by this insurgence of Boko Haram. But also the government seems to be not in really control of that area. And the Boko Haram, again, with the porous borders, so they're everywhere. Right. They are in Cameroon, they are in Niger, they are in Chad. So it is very difficult also even to control them because of these porous borders. Right. Would you say that in these refugee camps, they are capitalizing on the fact that they can recruit people because they are vulnerable? Are we seeing a lot of recruitment going on in these camps? Yeah, there's a lot of radicalization. The recruitment is both for even children, mm. for women, all, I mean, the youth, you know, the youth, there's a badge of the youth population. So they're also taking advantage of this unemployed youth. So they are all being recruited, these insurgent forces. So, of course, in those who are very vulnerable, those, of course, in the refugee camps. But also everywhere, they are able to lure them because they will offer what maybe also the government cannot offer. <laughs> so it is quite a big, big problem. Right. Would you say that Boko Haram is a group that is of international concern for the United States or more uh, regional concern? It is both. Because one, when you have those Boko Haram, I mean, they fall under, at least by U.S. definition, under the terrorist groups. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's no how a better way of describing them. They have support also, right. because there are those who believe in them and their cause. They say they have genuine cause, they have genuine grievances that are being not addressed. But then what they are causing is the leapfall effects. I mean, they go beyond the borders. They go beyond the region. Because you have also recruits from anywhere in the world. And you know, also in the United States, you have also big Nigerian diaspora. You don't know which group they are supporting and how they can also be able to recruit even from within these countries. Mm -hmm. So this is why it becomes a security problem for the entire world. And remember when they kidnapped these girls, you had Michelle Obama joining on the campaign of freeing these children. Mm. So it is something that is not confined within the borders of Nigeria. And they're really capitalizing on the fact that the government is unstable right now. Yeah, I don't know whether it's unstable, but then the country is unstable. <laughs> <laughs> I read a foreign affairs article that right now Nigeria has 300 million illicit weapons in circulation. Okay. So this has... I mean, obviously a regional effect for Nigeria and then the country surrounding it because obviously the conflict has become militarized at this point. And just in general, it's become violent to a new extent. Mm -hmm. In such a situation, there are so many arms going around. And because again, there's this transborder trafficking of arms. So it is arming and disarming both sides across the borders among the people, even the refugee camps themselves, they are full armed. Right. Because those who seek refugees, sometimes they come, it could be the whole army <laughs> getting shelter in these refugee camps. So that has become a very big security threat. The United Nations, of course, has arms trade uh, treaty that it is circulation of arms, but it's very difficult also to control it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there are so many arms and the weapons in the hands of the people. So throughout history and now we've kind of seen how other countries have 
filled that governmental role in Nigeria, like China and Russia, investing in the country. And because the United States has pulled out of climate change agreements, do you see other countries kind of using that as leverage to replace the United States in the broader world order and use this conflict as leverage? I don't know whether I can be able to to say that there is this casual link between uh, right. the United States getting out of the climate change agreement because even the countries you have mentioned that China, Russia, they are also major culprits <laughs> in this climate change True. problem. So for them, of course, they have now opened up a new frontier, which is Africa. Yeah, They are all going to Africa for their own interests in terms of trade, in terms of resources, raw materials, and uh, also like Nigeria is also an oil-producing country. Mm-hmm. It is member of the OPEC, and that's where, in fact, sometimes they get into clash with the United States because of this resource, important resource. So you have the Chinese everywhere, and because of what the Chinese offer. Because sometimes, like in Nigeria, people say, oh, the U.S. is always a suspect. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> how to deal with, with, uh, with China would not even, I mean, as they say, China would not put conditions, good governance, and issues of corruption. So people are turning to China. It's not so much about of this U.S. pulling out of the climate change, but they, they are going into Africa for economic interests. Now, of course, it's a competition. Mm, right. It is a scramble for Africa, a new scramble for Africa, with these countries wanting everyone to have a piece of cake right, from right. the African resources. Could you just go into a little bit more detail about how China has really started to invest in Nigeria? Yeah, you see, as I said, it's not only Nigeria, because when the Chinese get enter into a country, again, as I said, they have interest for the raw materials, they have interest in terms of trade, they have interest in terms of getting cheap labor for the industries, because nowadays in China, labor is not as cheap as it used to be. Right. So they use these countries as a source of labor, and they're opening up industries or factories in these countries. And so in Nigeria, what I think they are, they are in different sectors. But of course also the Chinese, most cases it's in the infrastructure. And in Nigeria, they have the worst infrastructure. <laughs> So, and that's where the Chinese, in terms of building roads, in terms of energy, but mostly in the construction industry. And uh, also the Chinese are good at building these big complexes. In Nigeria, I think they are in various sectors. I don't know how big in numbers as they are in, say, in the other countries, but I think they are trying to fill in the void of these other country, big countries like the U.S. So they always keep one foot away, but another foot in right. <laughs> Nigeria. It's not really, because it's the biggest economy mm. in, in Africa. So it's not easy to abandon Nigeria. Right. And that's why also the Chinese, they said, this is the place also to be. But it's not only the Chinese. There are many India, Russia, right, right. many other countries. So it is a competition. <laughs> Obviously, the resource feud is a very multilateral issue because we're seeing how they're battling governmental issues, resource issues, climate change issues that are out of their control in a lot of ways. So how do you think Nigeria should go forward? What should they do to start implementing solutions to fill some of these gaps that they're seeing? Yeah, I think you mentioned uh, one important aspect. I said uh, the materialism, Mm -hmm. because that's the way to go. 
there is no single country, however big the country is, would go it alone to address whether issues of climate change, the environmental degradation, the Nigeria is facing deforestation, as I said, and there are many, many programs out there that Nigeria is also part of, but then it is time that they should be able to really have strong political will to address these issues that are facing the country. And I find it the only place it will be through this multilateral approach. So it could be through the UN, United Nations frameworks, the regional frameworks, because you have uh, in West Africa, you have the ECOWAS, this is Economic Commission for West African States. They have various programs that they can be able to pull these big resources. But also with the US, it's mostly about the transfer of technology, of knowledge. But nowadays, the Nigeria is reading in terms of the IT. So I think they could use all these tools as enabling to be able to address these problems. But the environmental issue, the climate change issue, no country can do it alone. So the okay. frameworks are there, the agreements are there. It's only to have the political will to have them fully implemented to be able to improve the people's livelihood. Because it's the people who are suffering from the non-action on the part of the most of the governments and the priorities. Thank you so much for coming to speak with us on the Foreign Affairs Inbox today. Oh, great. Thank you so much for also including me in your Foreign Affairs Inbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite a good opportunity. I'm not an expert on Nigeria, but then Nigeria, as I said, is a giant of Africa. Yeah. You cannot ignore Nigeria. No. If you ignore Nigeria, it's at your own peril. <laughs> Thank you. Let me end on that note. And thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. If you enjoy the show and are thinking about a career in international affairs, check out the GW Elliott School website for more info. Like what you've heard? Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, link your friends. I'm Emma Anderson. And I'm Taylor Algano. And thank you for tuning in to this month's episode.